So we are in this series called Sent on Purpose, where we've been looking at some of the calling stories from people in the Old Testament. And it's been my prayer that this has been a helpful series for you. Um, I want every sermon to be more than just a sermon. Uh, I, I want you to hear it and it, for it to lead you into a personal transformation. Um, if I was up here all day long, every single week, just waiting for you to compliment me and tell me, wow, that was just such a great sermon, uh, then I wouldn't be here right now. And it's not that you guys don't compliment me on my sermons, but it's, it's not why I do this. I want to lead you to a personal transformation. I want you to be a better Christian tomorrow than you were today. And that's been my prayer for all of my messages. So uh, when I uh, plan out these series, I really want it to be helpful for you. And um, here's basically what I mean. I just pray that you walk away each Sunday thinking, not just thinking that that was a great sermon, Pastor Logan nailed it today, because I don't always nail it, right? Let's just be honest. You guys know that I don't always nail these sermons, but I want you to walk away feeling challenged and encouraged to be better today, to, to deepen your personal relationship with God. You see, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And you probably hear that all the time in Christian circles, but it's true. He's called you into something so much greater than yourself. And I genuinely want to walk, want you to walk in life abundantly in that calling. So this is why we've been talking about calling. And um, I, I knew at the summit they were going to be talking about calling a lot. Uh, but it wasn't actually the original theme. If you paid attention, it was momentum. That was the theme. But at some point, they changed it to calling. And uh, I, I found it kind of appropriate that we're already going to do a series on calling right in the middle of Summit. But Jonah chapter 3, starting verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, but there's only 10 verses, so it won't take that long. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, the, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. How Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on a sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with the sackcloth, sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By decree of the king and, its, and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and hear your word. Lord, it's such a privilege that you inspired this word of God and it was written so that we could study it, could read it. The words that you spoke to the prophets, that the words that you spoke to 
all of the different people and the authors of Scripture that we have this privilege to hear it. Not only read it, but hear it from people that you've called to be pastors. Lord, I'm so grateful for this calling that you've given me. And you know my heart. My prayer is that through this series and through the series to come and, and as we grow as a church together, that people would accept their call into ministry, that people would accept their call to do what you've called them to do, that they wouldn't settle for, for what they feel equipped for or what they, they think that they know, but that they would just walk straight into what you have called them to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how many of you actually like to go to Walmart and buy groceries? Okay, we got one. I have a feeling that that's probably true. That there's only one in this room that actually likes to go to Walmart and buy groceries. Right, spending time walking through all of the aisles. We always, Chloe and I, when we go, we start at the back of Walmart and we work our way to the front. And we always get about halfway and then realize that we forgot something in the back. So then we have to go all the way back to the back. And then we make it to the front. And then we forgot something in the middle. So then we go back to the middle. We don't like going to Walmart, if you, if you can't tell. But then you get all of these things in your grocery cart. And you're like, well, you know, this isn't much. But, it, you know, it, it's, it's what we need. And you go up there and the bill's like $400. And you're like, $400 for five bags of groceries? This is ridiculous. Right, I really don't like buying groceries. But then you get home, and then you have to put it all up. Right? Even if you do like the Walmart pickup, you still have to put it up when you get home. Right? Walmart pickup, as far as I know in this area, if there is, like we need to pay them some more. But uh, they don't go into your home and put all the groceries up for you. You still have to do that. Now, I, I do think they've been advertising that in much bigger cities uh, they do that. But we don't live there. So they're not going to drive 20 minutes to our house to go put up groceries in the wrong places. So that, that would be my next critique, that they're putting it in the wrong places. You have to get home. You put all the groceries up. And then if it's in the evening, you have to start cooking the food that you just bought, which I like to cook. But after I've been through Walmart and all of the crazy people that live there, <laughs> then you have to go and cook the food only to realize that one of the ingredients is still at the store and you forgot to do it. But why do you still go? Well, because you need food. You still have to go and get the groceries. You still have to cook the food because without food, you will starve and your family will starve and they'll suffer. Now, you may not want to work at cooking the meal and starting with going to the store, getting the ingredients, cooking it. You might not want to do all of that work, but we do it willingly because we know it's necessary for our health and for the survival of us and our kids. If you're anything like me, though, you love to eat that home-cooked meal. So all of the work that goes into it, the results of it is so great. But all the work is you could probably do without. Sometimes with our calling, we don't want to do it. We don't want to put in the work. It's a natural fleshly desire of us to not want to put in the work to actually live out our call because it's a lot of work. But we desire the results. And oftentimes we see others who live in their call. We see the results and we're like, man, I want the results, but you don't see any of the work. And 
we, do, we want to do something that matters, all of us. We want to invest in something that matters that's actually going to make a difference. Uh, otherwise, you, you probably wouldn't give unless that's just something that you've always done uh, to the church. Like You want to give to things, and you want to do things that you think will have a lasting impact on people. But we tend to shy away from the cost that it is to be called. What we have to give up, what we have to sacrifice, but also what we have to do to see those results. And that's where Jonah is. If you know the story of Jonah, it's going to be like a brief overview today as we kind of walk through his story, not really focusing on the details, but the bigger picture. In chapter 1, Jonah gets called by God to go to Nineveh and preach, for, preach to them to repent of their wickedness. Now, that was the simple instruction. Just go to Nineveh, tell them that if they don't repent, they're going to be destroyed. Tell them to repent, call them to repent, and that's all you have to do. You don't have to make anyone repent. Just tell them the message that I've given you. Which, as if you grew up in church, you probably know that Nineveh wasn't a great place to live. If you were a Christian, if you were a follower of God, which at that time was Jewish. So Nineveh was this really terrible city. And it would be not, not wrong to assume that they would probably kill you for, for talking about a God that, that they widely rejected. But to go there and preach for people to repent, to give up their lavish lifestyles, to give up all of their worldly pleasures, and to return to the Lord was as close to a suicide mission as you can get. And Jonah was afraid, and in verse 3 it says, he ran away from God. He paid for a ticket. He paid money to make sure that he wasn't going to go to Nineveh. And he went to Tarshish which, if you look at a geographical map, is 180 degrees away from Nineveh. He wasn't even trying to hide the fact. Like, it wasn't even like 90 degrees. It's like, well, I'm going to stop here and get some supplies first, and then I'm going to go. It was just completely, I'm going the opposite way. And as he's going, he finds himself in a storm. He's asleep at the lower part of the boat. Sailors, professional sailors, are getting scared. They're, they're scared for their life. They've seen storms before, but nothing like this one. And they go and they wake up Jonah and they're like, how can you be asleep right now? Like, everything is falling apart. We're all going to die. And in this storm, they start casting lots, which is like uh, basically whoever got the shortest stick was supposed to explain why this was happening. And it was Jonah. And Jonah gets this, uh, he ca- the, la- or the, the lots were cast on him. And he was left to explain what had happened. Now, before I get to his explanation, I want to stop right here. Because in your calling, there will be moments that you'll want to give up, you'll want to give in, you'll want to run away from your next best step. Now, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, how Joshua was told to be strong and courageous. And, th- and Jonah demonstrates what it's like to not be strong and courageous, to run away from what God has called you to to run away from God so that you can live the life that you want to live instead of what God wants you to live. So there's this moment in your calling where you won't be very strong and courageous. You, you won't, you'll have a moment where you'll let fear bind you and hold you down and that will hold on to you. Now, our God is merciful So that when we let fear in, he's always full of mercy and grace to let us continue on. 
He doesn't have to be that way, though. I mean, he sent his son to die for you and to rise again for you. And if you don't want to follow his commands, he has every right to say, well, then don't. If you want to reject my son, if you want to reject me, then, then just go ahead and do it. In fact, Romans will teach that he will deliver people into their desires, which is to not be with them, to ask for hell instead of ask for heaven. Now, they might not realize what they're doing, and that's the importance of us to to share this message with them, just like Nineveh likely didn't know or they didn't have this understanding in that generation that they were running away from God, the one true God. Yet, Jonah was the one that eventually accepted that call and went, and it changed Nineveh for the rest of that generation. But he has every right, God has every right as the creator of the universe to send a storm. Now, when we hear of storms, we think of really bad times in our life, right? Times where life just really hits you hard and you really don't know what you're doing, why, how you got yourself in this situation. You don't know how to get out of it. It's just everything, the world just seems to be falling in on you. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes God sends these storms as a sign of grace. We, not, we don't probably think of it as grace. Just like when I was getting switched as a kid, I didn't think it was grace for my dad to make me pitch out or pick out my switch because I talked back to my mom. But when we're rebellious against the God of the universe, he could do so far more and be justified and right in giving us a far worse punishment. But sometimes he just gives us a little push through a storm, through a a hard life situation so that our eyes are shifted back to him and off of ourselves or off of other people. So God sends this storm as a sign of grace. God could have very well looked at Jonah running away and said, fine, go to Tarshish. See, See what happens there. Just go ahead and go. But instead, because of the grace of God and because God loved Jonah and wanted Jonah to walk into life abundantly through his calling, he says, here's the storm. Now you got to choose. So then it goes back to Jonah's response. He says, I know it's my fault. I'm the one that ran away from God, the God who created the heavens and the earth. I'm the one that ran away from him. He has control over the seas. And because he has control over the seas, he brought this storm on us. And so they say, Jonah, what are we supposed to do? And he says, throw me overboard. Now, in Sunday school, what I learned was that these, and I've even heard it in sermons too, that they were like, okay, so they just picked up Jonah and chucked him over the boat. But that didn't actually happen. If you read scripture, you'll find that uh, the sailors were like, Jonah, that's ridiculous. Like, we're not going to just throw you overboard. You're an innocent man. It's fine. They try to get to shore, and they can't. They do everything that they can, and they can't. And they finally cry out to God and say, God, we hope that you have mercy on us for killing this man. They thought he was going to die. And he gets thrown overboard, and then we often think it's a whale, but it's actually just a big fish which a whale is a big fish. I get it. So I I know why we say it's a whale. But a big fish comes and swallows him up. That's another act of grace on God's part. God could have not sent the fish, not protected him from the waves, and Jonah could have died. 
But instead, God had a purpose and a plan and a calling for Jonah. And he wanted Jonah to live out that calling. But I also think that Jonah knew that God was going to protect him. That since this moment where, where Jonah's like, I know it's my fault, and here's what you need to do, this was his act of repentance. He was turning away from his own rebellion and wicked ways of running away from God. And he's like, if I jump overboard, God is going to protect me, and I'm probably going to end up at Nineveh. Probably going to end up somewhere, and I'm going to be given that choice again. And that's exactly what happens. He spends the night in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. And then uh, at the end of chapter 2, he gets thrown up onto the land by the fish. Then you get chapter 3. And it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, the second time that Jonah receives this call, we find that he says yes. So he says yes to this call. And he goes, he proclaims the word. And what happens to Nineveh? They repent. They turn from their wicked ways. They fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And if you just think about just for a second how big of a miracle that is, to think that an entire nation fasted, prayed for 40 days and 40 nights together. You think that could happen in America today? (laughs) It'd be very, very shocking, right? Nineveh was this great city. It wasn't a nation. It was a great city. But it still kind of applies that this entire city was so focused on God in that moment just because they heard that they would be destroyed, just because they heard what we would consider today the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the humility to take responsibility for disobeying God is a hard thing to do because our natural desire is to to shift blame to something else. We find this all the way back in Genesis. Shift blame to someone else. It's not really my fault. But since Jonah repented an entire nation or an entire city was saved because one man looked deep into his soul and said, I'm going to accept my call. It would have been really easy for Jonah. I got a little ahead of myself, but it would have been really easy for Jonah to to look at the other sailors in that boat and say, I can't control the weather. Why do you think this is my fault? I can't control the weather. How am I supposed to explain this? Storms just happen. Or, if he was a little bit more religious, he would have said, well, God's going to protect me through this. God's going to protect us. He won't let us be destroyed. Right? I, I don't have to be thrown overboard, even though I know that's probably what needs to be done. We'll just pray through it together, and God will see us through. I think if Jonah would have taken either one of those responses that boat would have sunk and there wouldn't be a story of Jonah for us to read because he would have died. But instead, Jonah had that humility. And even though that Satan does send storms our ways to destroy us, to kill us, to to consume us, God will protect us in those storms. But the storms that God sends is to correct us, to lead us back on the right path, And I want you to hear this. Sometimes you have to throw yourself overboard to repent of your rebellion against God because 
others are counting on it. It's not just you. Others are counting on it. Your unrepented sins will not only destroy you, but they will destroy the ones around you. If you are so, arrogant's probably a strong word, but arrogant, to think that your sins only affect you in eternity, you're wrong. Because your sins, your, your, your uh, rebellion and disobedience to God affects people around you. Jonah ran from God, and him and the other sailors almost died because of Jonah's rebellion and disobedience. If Jonah would have continued to be disobedient, an entire city would have been destroyed. But because one man decided to uh, repent of his sins, throw himself overboard, and say, you know, God, maybe I, I'm not doing all of the things that I should have. And I know that I'm failing in these areas, so I'm going to repent of these sins. I'm going to correct my ways. I'm going to throw myself overboard, which could be losing your reputation here on earth. I'm going to throw it overboard, and I know that you're going to protect me through it. So that at the end, whenever, whenever you give me this second chance, I will say yes. And because I said yes, an entire city got saved. Storms are a great opportunity to look to God and to look into your heart to see where you've been fall, falling short. After Jonah is thrown overboard, a big fish swallowed him. And uh, he, he prays while he's in the fish. This is in chapter 2. We're not going to touch on those details right now. But this shows this repentance and trust in the Lord. That God wasn't going to let him die. God had grace by sending the fish. In chapter 3, that's when Jonah actually accepts his call to ministry to go and preach the word. And the Ninevites believed God, they repented, and they fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I know I repeated some of those things, but it's because I'm leading up to this point right here. Jonah has shown us several things where our disobedience to God will lead ourselves and others to death. Our obedience will lead ourselves and others to abundance. Your calling that God has for you might not be vocational ministry, but it might be. It might not be pastoring, but it could be. It might not be mission work, but it could be. Our obedience, leading ourselves and others to life. That's, that's what this is all about. It's, it's about accepting this call that God has on your life so that others might be saved. I think so many times as we walk through our Christian life, we're so focused on our own personal relationship with God. We're so focused on what we're doing for God, what we're doing in church, how we're serving in church. And instead of looking outward to other churches and other communities and saying, maybe I'm being sent there and I don't want to because I'm comfortable here. Maybe I'm supposed to go and do this really uncomfortable thing there, but I haven't because I'm really comfortable here. Now, I'm not saying your comfort is always a sign that you need to go and be uncomfortable somewhere else. But the reality is, is that God, when he calls you, it's always going to be something uncomfortable at first. And the comfort comes from seeing how in the discomfort he's comforting you. How in the discomfort you can find peace. 
I can tell you just from my own life, I'll be a little vulnerable for a moment. I was not the kid that liked to public speak ever. I hated it. Right? I have my, what was it, kindergarten? Kindergarten teacher right over there. She knows very well. I was not the one that was going, hey, pick on me. I want to answer this question. I was like, "Mm." Whenever, even up until high school, after I accepted my call, even up to uh, senior year of high school, we had to do like these senior year-end presentations in front of our senior class, and I hated every moment of it. I didn't want to be up there. I didn't want to talk to people. Right, it sounds bad, but I don't like to talk to people sometimes. That's why it's exhausting for me to go and every five steps I have to talk to someone else. But I, I love you guys, and that's why I do, and I do enjoy our conversations. It's none of that. It's just I'm wired to not like to talk. I'm wired to want to stay quiet. I love to listen. That's where I thrive in the conversation. I love to listen. I don't like to talk. But all of that, there was no signs that I was going to be a good public speaker, that I was going to be a a decent preacher. Because it was so uncomfortable for me to stand up in front of people and speak. My first sermons, I'm so glad that they had like the boat pulpits where you couldn't see anything behind it because my knees were like wobbling. I could barely stand up. I'm like holding on to it for stability But as I've walked in my call, God has given me so much comfort in this position. Even though it is still uncomfortable today, I I still don't like to speak in front of people, which is probably shocking for you, but it's true. I still am walking in it, and as I'm up here, he gives me comfort. But if you don't accept that call, there are people that will die and go to hell because you never gave them the chance to hear from you. And that's why this is such an important thing in our walk, is to make sure that you're accepting your call. At the, at the summit this past week, Danny Donovan, he came and, and preached in front of the castle. Um, he's our, our president of General Baptist Ministries. He preached a sermon on Friday night and he said this quote, and it, and it hit me really hard, but it's so true. The population of hell will be greater because Christians don't respond to God's call to ministry. I'll say it again. The population of hell will be greater because Christians don't respond to God's call to ministry. The fear that you have to step into your call, if you know what your call is, and you're just afraid to step into it because it's going to completely change your life forever. That fear of being a pastor, that fear of being a deacon, that fear of traveling miles away from your family to go and be a missionary, that fear that that might be your kids, that your kids might be called to be pastors, that your kids might be called to be missionaries and you may never see them except for on holidays. That fear that they might have to go into dangerous situations, that your grandkids might have that call that fear will bind you. And people, including yourself, will suffer because of it. The population of hell will be greater because Christians don't respond to God's call to ministry. If your calling gives you fear, 
Let's walk through it. Uh, I'm telling you as your pastor, I want you to come to me and I want to help you walk through that. If you don't know what your calling is, help, let me help you find what that calling is. I want you to live in your calling because I know what it's like to live in your calling and I know what it's like to not live in it. In a lot of ways, I was like Jonah. When I was called and I accepted my call at 13, I didn't know what to do. I was scared of it. I didn't like to public speak. I, I didn't like to, to do that. I saw how it, how it wrecked my dad sometimes to see him walk through some of the pain and suffering that they walked through. And I was like, I don't really want that. And I ran away just like Jonah. And during those times, there were so many storms that hit me. My life got so hard. I went into some really, really dark places in my life. But when I accepted that call, there is no reason that a church would want a 16-year-old to come and preach. But that day that I accepted my call, I had two churches want me to preach. One of them being my dad's, but the other one being Mount Gilead. And it was like every month after that, there was a church reaching out, wanting me to preach, wanting me to preach. And everything started falling in place. Yes, there were a lot of obstacles. Yes, there was a lot of hardships. Yes, there was a lot of things that were really uncomfortable for me things that I really didn't want to do. But everything started falling in place to where a church would be, be so willing to have a 21-year-old and his 19-year-old wife come and, and be their pastor. I'm just telling you, y'all had no business having, having a 21-year-old come in here with a bunch of 60, 70, and 80-year-olds. <laughs> but because... I was walking in my call. He gave me all these things to where now we have a lot of young people coming. We have a kids ministry that's thriving. And it's because, and I don't take all the credit, but because one, one 15, 16 year old said yes to his call. And I wonder what would happen if the 60, 70, 80 that regularly attend here, if they would all do the same, what kind of an impact we would have on the pool community? What kind of an impact we would have on Webster County and Henderson County? What kind of an impact would we have as a small little country church on our state, on the tri-state, if we would just walk in that call not be afraid of the call, but celebrate it. When people accept their call in the ministry, celebrate it. That we wouldn't be so afraid that our kids would be involved in that, but that we would celebrate that they want to be part of something so much greater than themselves. There was a pastor that I know, um, he was talking to me about his child accepting the call into ministry. And he told me that, uh, and this is so true, I want to protect my kid from all of the hard things and challenging things about ministry. I want to protect them. So I really don't want them to accept their call. But I know that they need to do it. So I will support them 100% of the way. Part of my vision for this church is that we would raise up pastors, missionaries, and leaders and send them to the Ninevehs in our nation 
in our community, around the world, so that the gospel will be proclaimed and lives will be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because of them. Right? How amazing would it be if your kid, right? And I know it's getting personal because it's your kid, but what if your kid was called to be a missionary and as scary as that thought may be, that they would live in some foreign land and you would rarely be able to see them. That if they were called to be a missionary, that they could transform communities by themselves. That they could be like uh, our general Baptist ministry or uh, missionaries in Africa planting a church every single year. What if that was your son? What if that was your daughter that was going and doing that? He would be incredibly proud of them. But unless you, you tell them and you let them know that God has a call on their life, they may never go. And those communities and, and whatever land they are may never hear God's name because you or your kids or your grandkids or someone else didn't say yes to their call. Now, if you're not called to be a missionary, don't do it. If you're not called to be a pastor, don't do it. Right? If you're called to just work in your job and be the light, then be the light in that job. But if you're called to be a missionary, if you're called to be a pastor, then you must do it. Because people's lives are at stake. People's souls are at stake. People's eternity is at stake. And as we take these next moments to sing our last song, I want us, uh, if you're willing and able, to come up to the front. To one, as we start to pray to God to move so profoundly in our church and our community that the next pastor of this church is raised up in this church. That the next pastor that, that replaces me, because I, I know it sounds weird as leadership, but I want to be replaced. If I'm here for the next 50 years, I need to be replaced at some point. And so the next pastor of this church, I would love it for him or her to be raised up in this church to replace me. But also pray that in this church, we would see the next missionary for General Baptist Missionary or for General Baptist Ministries to go and open up a new mission field because of the faithfulness of this church and the faithfulness of that individual or individuals who accepted their call and said, as scary as it is, as uncertain as it is, I will go and be the first General Baptist to go to this place. I would love, that's part of my vision, I would love to see that come from this church. Right, we, we talked about, uh, like what Stephanie said up here, how healthy churches send people to go. And something that one of the, the panelists said during that discussion, he said, We've become really good in the American church of making disciples of church. But we've struggled to make disciples of Jesus. What he meant is uh, we, we've become so good at getting people to serve, getting people to volunteer, getting people to be involved in their church and stay in their church, but really bad at just making them disciples of Christ to where that when they need to go, they actually go. Teaching them that this isn't the only church in the world but that there's other churches. There's over 50 General Baptist churches without a pastor right now. There are General Baptist churches that have closed down with significant amount of money, more money than what we even have. And they're closing down because they've been looking for a pastor and they haven't found one in the last three years. And so they closed down because they didn't know what else to do. 
This is a crisis. And my generation was terrible at it. But there's another generation that's coming up, and we got to invest in them and let them know that God has a call on their life, and their calling is going to affect and transform so many people. But I invite you, as, as we sing this last song, Stephanie, you can go ahead and make your way up here, to come to the altar and pray that new pastors, new missionaries, new leaders would rise up and accept their call in this church to go to other churches, to go to other communities, to go to other parts of the world and a part of our nation, and that they would be, they, they would lead, and they would always be able to come back and say, I got my call from Shady Grove General Baptist Church. I accepted my call at Shady Grove General Baptist Church. And at Shady Grove, they invested in me, and they taught me everything that I knew so that I felt equipped to go to this foreign land. I felt equipped to go to this foreign city. I felt equipped to go to this other other state, wherever it is, that they can connect it back to here. So I'd ask if you would, if you're willing and able, come up to the front. And after we pray that, after we sing, I'm going to have us pray over Stephanie as we're sending one of our own overseas to go to Guatemala to go and, and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the people there.